0: There was one woman that was like 300 pounds and she would always gladly hide some books for me because she could really hide a lot of books. And I would just stick them in my, I'd be just sticking books in my jumpsuit. And like, there's clearly like sharp angles coming out of my jumpsuit and they're, they're not asking any
1: questions about that. Hi, CityCast listeners. Today is part two of my interview with my friend, Carrie Blakinger the most ferocious prisons reporter in Texas and the author of the new Corrections in Ink. It's the story of her extraordinary life. Yesterday, we heard how Carrie went from competing in the nationals as half of a pair's ice skating team to being arrested with a Tupperware full of heroin. Today, in part two, we cover the second half of Carrie's story. Starting around 2011, when she was 26, and in various New York prisons. She talks about how she found her voice at the Houston Chronicle, and why it is that she chooses to stay here in Texas. One quick warning, this episode contains a lot of salty language. It's Tuesday, June 7th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Prison affect your sense of self in other ways. How, what did you think of yourself while you were in prison? Did you define yourself in terms of the other prisoners? Did you see yourself as having no agency? What did you think your future might be? Huh. I am. I don't.
0: I'm not sure what I thought my future would be. Certainly didn't think it would be this.
1: But um, uh huh. <laughs> I you just sit and think about it. You were just I think, there.
0: I think that when you're in prison, you're so singularly focused on getting out, on waiting for time to pass. That like that is sort of your only goal for for time to pass. Cause that's the only thing that matters at the end of the day in prison. Like whatever else you've done is just an add-on.
1: So I remember meeting you when we both worked at the Houston Chronicle. And the first time that I realized how deeply being in prison had affected you was when we were talking about the stuff you own. Can you talk about that? Yeah,
0: so so one of the things in jail and in prison is that everything you own can be a liability. It is something that can a guard can confiscate. It is something that they can often find something, you know, wrong about something to punish you for. They can find something in your letters, they can find that you have too many stamps or too many sweatshirts. Um, There's so many things that can result in punishment. And even those that that don't, they can just be confiscated. So it seems like everything feels like a liability. Um, And this isn't like an abstract thing. This is like after months of having anything you value just repeatedly taken or destroyed, you start to be cautious about having belongings.
1: So you actively don't want things, things that you could keep, you get rid of.
0: Right, I, th- I mean, that's how I handled it. Um, there's a pretty limited amount of stuff that you're even allowed to own, so it's not like anyone has a ton of stuff in prison. Um, right. But for me, I tried to always keep it as to as little stuff as I could, except for books. That was the thing, I, that was the one thing I hoarded. <laughs> um in the county jail we were only allowed to have 10 books per person so every morning when they did cell inspection like I would have to go give other people some books to hold on to I'd like stuff some extra books into my <laughs> jumpsuit and I, I'd like be because they'd make us come out of the cells and you would sit down at the tables while they searched your cell and sometimes mm-hmm. they just looked in and sometimes they just tore it apart and you never knew which so I would you know, put some books in other people's cells. But then when I got to prison, the property yeah. limits were bigger and you could have like 25 books, I think. Um, yeah. You know, but otherwise I, I tried to keep it light and I still, um, I still own very little stuff. I, it just, it's still just I mean, and when just you say stressful. very little. Everything you... I own can fit in my car.
1: Yeah. And that was not mm-hmm.
0: how I lived before prison. Right.
1: I mean, I remember hearing about yeah. when you had an apartment. Right now you don't even have an apartment. But when you did, you had basically a mattress on the floor, one plate and one fork.
0: <laughs> I mean, I did own some books. But, yes, in, some term, books, in, term, yeah. in terms of okay. kitchen utensils, you're right. I right. had, like, a plate, a fork, and a coffee cup.
1: Yeah. But I think that gets it, like, sort of the ways that this is still with you. So let's yeah. talk when you got out of prison. You didn't think, oh, I'm going to go be a journalist, right? You kind of got accidentally hired into journalism, but it caught fire. Why, why was that? What was it?
0: I mean, initially I got into not criminal justice reporting. It was just um, general assignment reporting. Yeah. and You were
1: like outrunning whatever random crime had happened, whatever shooting.
0: Well, but before that, what I, when I started yeah. on was covering mm-hmm. small towns, covering, you know, town board meetings where they're arguing about, you know, the price of the next salt barn or, you know, backyard chicken ordinances, yeah. um, you know, really very small town shit in towns with like, you know, three, four 5,000 people. But from the start, I mean, I liked that because it felt like it was something I was doing of value after so many years of not doing anything of value. But when I, you know, when I got to the Chronicle, I, I also, I mean, there I fell into the criminal justice stuff kind of accidentally. And, you know, um, I think this part is not really in the book, but um, I think one of the things that had a big influence on me deciding to write the book or sort of thinking through things that became, you know, major scenes in the book was, was writing Grey Matters for you. Um, I started writing essays, but, but even then writing, I didn't, I was initially resistant to the idea of writing essays about my time in prison. It just seemed, um, I don't know, like, I don't know. It just seemed like trite or cheesy. Like, of course that like the girl who did time is going to be writing about all the felon shit. And the first one I did was about holidays in prison and what is the best holiday in prison? And I wrote about how the Super Bowl was something that we looked forward to so much, not because we gave a shit about the Super Bowl, but because in jail, they would order the cell block pizza for the Super Bowl. So we treated it like oh. it was a big ass holiday. But I wrote that and I went through what some of the other holidays are like in prison. And the response I got was like, I thought this was just a sort of, I don't know, throwaway useless essay that people were going to be like, okay, neat, whatever. Right. Um, but the response I got from people that had never thought about these aspects of incarceration before and thought that this gave a voice to experiences they were not familiar with and, you know, showed another side of what you see on TV.
1: Yeah. But there was a way that you approached journalism that was different than most human beings. You wanted to be doing it constantly. You were writing on weekends. You were staying late whenever you could. I felt bad about getting you to work on weekends until I realized, I think you said to me once, oh, I'd rather do this than heroin. I need things to do on the weekend. It was like you were using journalism instead of drugs.
0: Totally, yes. I mean, I've I've always been an obsessive person, you know, and
1: and growing up, I mean, it was figure
0: skating, which was an all-consuming sport. And then when my skating fell apart, you know, I I dove into heroin with the same ferocity. And you, didn't, you
1: weren't a half-assed addict; you went all the way, <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And then, you know, since then, I've I've been so lucky to find a career that I am passionate about and can throw myself into, and is not just fulfilling for me, but actually benefits people.
1: Yeah. Is there a particular reason that you've chosen to stay in Texas? You could cover corrections anywhere in the country at this point.
0: Yeah, but shit is real broken here. Totally. This is, this is why when I moved to Texas and I started covering criminal justice here, I realized how great of a place it was to be doing that. Because first of all, there are not as many reporters here that are covering this. If you're in New York, people are tripping all over each other to cover Rikers Island. But yeah. that is not the case in Texas. There's a handful of people that even cover these issues. And in most cases, it's just part of a larger beat. So, you know, like Lauren McGaughy and Jolie at the Tribune, like, you know, they both have a lot of other things to cover. But the other thing is, it is a, a vast prison system. There's around 100 prisons, you know, there's around 120,000 people locked up in Texas. Like, there's a, a lot of problems that I uncovered in the years I was reporting on it. And there's still... Um, tons of problems I uncover now. And I mean, obviously now I'm at the Marshall Project, so I'm covering much more than Texas, but I think for a prison system its size, there should be so many more people covering Texas prisons. Like there's more people covering the federal prisons, which are only slightly bigger. There's more people covering New York prisons, which are much smaller, Um, but Texas prisons still don't get the amount of coverage that I think they, uh, they deserve.
1: Hi. How are you treated when you go to report at a prison? What is it like? Um, You know, it's interesting. I. um, Everybody knows now that you're a felon, that you have served time. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's always the case, the prisons I
0: show up at. But um, I think that since most of where I'm visiting is Texas prisons, and I think Mm -hmm. a lot of the staff Know my name as the person that writes bad things about their prisons, um, but they're they've always been great to me. I think that some of the you know, one of the surprising things is that a lot of the staff don't like to see this shit going on either because it also affects them. When people are starting fires, it makes their life worse. If the food they're but, serving is terrible, it means that people are going to there's going to be more unrest and people are going to complain more. You know, if there's no air conditioning, that's a difficult working environment. You know, so I I think that a lot of the staff have, have, you know, not treated me as the enemy because I think they appreciate that I'm covering issues that, you know, make their lives worse, too. Um, I suspect the administration does not typically feel the same way, but I don't (laughs) um, run into them on most prison visits.
1: How do the prisoners respond to you? Um,
0: The... (laughs) You know, one of my one of my favorite ways that I've seen jail mail addressed is when I was at the Chronicles, sometimes I would get mail that was addressed to the reporter who used to be in prison. <laughs> or or somebody I think did one that was like the reporter who did time. <laughs> <laughs> and um and I mean and people knew who that was, it ended up on my desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, but I think that also sort of reflects. I mean, I think that also says something there, um, because they they recognize that experience and they a- appreciate that that means I'm coming at it from, you know, from a different place than a lot of people that walk into that prison to interview them come at it from.
1: Yeah. Do you feel like you're at the right place in your life that, in some ways, everything has led you to cover prisons, especially in Texas? <laughs> um all that figure skating you did it was leading straight to texas prisons right i have <laughs> never thought about that um yeah
0: you know i mean i don't know i don't think of a lot about like am i at the right place in my life or like um because right. i feel like Good. that's also sort of the flip side of thinking about like are there things you regret you know right and um i don't know i don't really let myself go down that path because like Sure, are there things that, are there other roads that, you know, it could have taken? Are there things I could have done differently? Like, sure, are there things that I feel remorse about, that I feel bad about how they happened? Of course. But, you know, I I try not to. I think if I let myself go down the path of the sort of what-ifs and, you know, what could have been, like, that would just be a sort of endless dark pit
1: for me. That is the brain in a jar kind of thing. Yeah thinking in circles. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I am very proud of you. I think you're doing great stuff. (laughs) Thank you. That was Carrie Blakinger. Her new book is Corrections in Ink. She'll be signing it tonight at Brazos Bookstore. We'll have information in our show notes and also a link where you can buy a copy that will be sent to a prisoner. And now I am here with producer Farrell Gibbs. Farrell, what else is going on around Houston today?
2: Thank you, Lisa. This is from the U.S. Postal Service's website. Because it is National Dog Bite Awareness Week this week, they released the national rankings of the number of dog bites that occurred in 2021 per city. So 5,400 postal workers have been attacked by dogs last year. And Houston, of all of those cities, was ranked number two in the country, right behind Cleveland. Now, on that page of the USPS website, they do give tips on how to be a responsible pet owner. Like when the letter carrier comes by, you should, of course, keep dogs inside the house or behind a fence or away from the entry door or on a leash. They also said not to let children take mail from a letter carrier just in case the dog sees a carrier as a threat. Now, besides Houston, there were three other Texas cities in the top 25. Dallas was at number six, San Antonio number 12, and Fort Worth 16. Texas also ranked high on dog bites per state. We are the number two state for dog bites behind California at number one.
1: That is it for CityCast Houston today. Farrell has gotten our Instagram up and running. So please, if you have a photo that somehow captures this city, that makes you laugh or makes you angry or just makes you feel something about the place, tag us. We are at CityCast Houston. We'd love to use it in our newsletter and our social media. We will be back tomorrow. Talk with you then.
2: All right, then it must be time to stop.